morning. You've made a good choice again. And I'm glad we can connect, although we can't be together as we are. And we're missing that. We can be together even in connecting through this. So my prayer is that this will fuel your hope. We desperately need that more than ever in, in, in the challenging circumstances and situations that we might find ourselves in, and certainly the world in which we live in, find itself in. We need hope. Where can we find that hope? We can find it in God. And I'm praying that as you engage in worshipping through these songs, as you listen to the things that are being talked about this morning, your hope would be fueled and you'll be able to be encouraged and maybe in an hour's time when we finish this, you would say, because of God, because I have connected with him, because my heart is strengthened in him, I am filled with hope. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, we thank you that you just love to pour out fresh new hope into our hearts. And I pray that as we engage in worshipping together, in listening to what you have to say to us, in praying together, I pray that you will pour out fresh hope over us, over our families, over our neighborhoods, and to all the nations to the ends of the earth. Amen.
want to make sure all the children are involved in our church service. So here's a little talk just for the children. Hi, I have something here to show you that I want some help with. I've got three cups and underneath one of the cups are some sweets. Can you guess which cup is hiding the sweets? Hmm, they all look the same. They all move the same. Which cup is it? Would it help if I just lifted one of the cups up and gave you a little glimpse, a little peep underneath? Oh, there they are. Can you see the sweets? Do you know our gospel story today has to do with something similar. Three disciples got a glimpse, got a little peep of something absolutely amazing. And this is what happened. Jesus went up a mountain. He took three disciples, Peter, James and John. It was very quiet and Jesus was praying. And then suddenly, Jesus changed completely. His face became as bright and as shining as the sun. His clothes became whiter than white. It was amazing. And then on either side of Jesus were two men, Moses and Elijah, two men from a long, long time ago. The disciples were amazed, frightened, excited, terrified, all at the same time. Do you know what had happened? The disciples had been given a glimpse, a little tiny peek, remember our cups, of Jesus' glory, Jesus' majesty and Jesus' power. They got a little glimpse of Jesus' heavenly nature shining through his human body. And then, do you know what happened? After that, a cloud came down over the top of the mountain, out of the cloud came God's voice. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. After the voice spoke, 
Jesus and the three disciples were left all alone on the mountain. Something amazing had just happened. The disciples had been given a glimpse, a little peek, at the glory and majesty of Jesus. What does that mean for us in Kids Club? Well, Jesus understands how we feel, how we, how we are, because he was here with us. He was one of us. We also, we can listen to Jesus' voice. We can listen to Jesus' voice by reading the Bible and by praying. And thirdly, we can be amazed at Jesus' glory and power and majesty. One other thing, at Kids Club in church on a Sunday morning, we love to do craft. So I thought a really good craft to do at home would be to make a picture of our story today. So we need a mountain, we need Jesus, we need three disciples, we need lots and lots of shiny lights and maybe glitter if you're brave. And then we need a cloud on top of the mountain with the words, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And let's do that. Let's listen to Jesus. Let's get to know him more. And let's just be amazed at his power and glory and majesty. Bye.
Good morning, guys. Um, albeit virtually, it's great to be with you, and I look forward to the day where we can all get together and kind of share those high fives, uh, hugs, and handshakes. So I've been asked to um, talk a little bit about forgiveness, just for a few minutes, and I know I can't cover the kind of topic in that time in its fullness, but hopefully I can give you something to consider. So forgiveness is something we hear a lot about in society and in church too, but I don't always feel that we um, do cover it as a whole or really kind of spend time considering the huge enormous thing that it actually is. No, um, God believes in forgiveness. God believes in forgiveness so much that he literally sent his son down to die so that we might be forgiven. And forgiveness isn't just kind of a lip service, but it is a condition of the heart. So I wonder if before we move forward, if you were to just take a second and um, pause this video, if you were to write a list down of perhaps uh, some names where uh, of, of individuals where you have forgiven them, I wonder how long that list would be. Now I know how long my list would be. I also know how many um, lists where my name would also be present. Um, and you see, not long after I gave my life to Christ, I wrote this list. I wrote a list um, down and I spoke with it about uh, with a friend because basically at the time I was struggling with my mental health and, and some areas where I was hurting and so I decided to write a list of possible causes and, and a whole host of other things. And with my friend I started to pray through um, seeking forgiveness but also asking for um, the capacity and the ability to forgive others. And I probably prayed something along the lines of, you know, Lord, help me uh, forgive this person for what they've done to me and heal the hurt that sits within inside me and break this chain that kind of is binding itself to my heart. And in that prayer, when I would ask for healing and for help, there would be a lot about me and very little about the other person. But the other person, in fact, has got such a big thing to do with the whole process. It made me think about where my prayer sits there. And, you know, now when I look at what God tells me to do, it doesn't sound very much like what I was doing. The Bible tells me to forgive, yes, but forgiveness isn't just this lip service. You know, um, where I kind of need to tell somebody that they're forgiven or, or just pray that I may forgive them. It's so much more, you know, forgiveness is where we ultimately, we kind of remove, delete, erase, um, that kind of mm -hmm. transgression or hurt that another person has caused towards us. We remove their accountability, you know, the, the violations, the hurt, the words, their actions, and we place it under the blood of Christ in the same way that we've done with our own transgressions. You know, the same way that he carried the cost for us and carries the cost for um, for them, we must accept this cost for one another. Not to hold on to something just in case, you know, we can bring it up in an argument and remind them of, you know, their repetitive behaviour or to hold on to a chain that kind of keeps somebody in line, but to release it and release it in full as he has released us. You know, we must free them from our hearts 
you know without this all we all that happens is we we trouble others and we torment ourselves and that's not what god wants for our lives we don't have to look far into society or dare i say even our own circles to see the deep darkness that the sickness that of unforgiveness and its consequences causes so practically we can do a few things and here's just my thoughts on it that we, when we pray, we can pray for healing, physical, spiritual and emotional. And we can pray that God shows us how to proactively forgive others. You know, in a way that might not be running up to, you know, Sheila in the office who once stole the tea bag from our desk. But in a way that fully impacts them. Um, in a way that we can perhaps reconnect and restore relationships. And that reconnection might not be between you and I, or you and uh, the individual involved. But it might just be the capacity for those to be able to reconnect with God. We can be praying for blessings, you know, for individuals. And, and this is kind of the tough part because we think, wow, I don't want, I, w- I want them to be forgiven, but I don't want them to be blessed. But in this context, it might just be revealing the transgression itself so that they can also reconnect with God and not just us. Or that actually we might be able to um, show like an unsurmountable, unrecognisable amount of love towards them. And you might ask yourself, how can I love them? You know, because it's it's something that, especially when somebody is hurt, is goes against every single human instinct. But this might just be something as simple as not talking them in a, about them in a negative way to a friend or behind their back or about what they've done. And what I'm not saying is we can't share our experiences to help others. But our, expi- our purpose of sharing experience should be to highlight God's grace and to help others, not to highlight the wrong that somebody else has done. We can just speak well of them. And then we have to kind of remember that this process is almost um, eat, sleep, repeat. You know, forgiveness doesn't come easy and it's hard and it costs us. But we can bear it because he bears us. And it's something that we need to be given out on a regular basis. I know that I didn't just need forgiven once for one thing, that I need forgiven on a daily basis. But the consequences for us holding on to things are absolutely deadly. And we need to be practicing what we receive. You know, Joyce Mayer said, when she talks about forgiveness, she said, um, holding on to the bitterness and not forgiving is like taking poison and hoping that the other person will die. Ultimately, it eats away at us and it causes further hurt. So I just ask you, if we were to pause the video once again and you were to go back to that list that you may or may not have written, and you to add columns next to that under actions, next to the names, how deep or wide would that list become? And in the column marked love or blessing, what is written there? Guys, I just, forgiveness is so much bigger. Forgiveness is something that we need to absolutely practice because it's easier to receive than to give out. I recognize that. But I pray that as you consider this and as you move forward that you can just um, perhaps explore areas of your life where you either need to receive forgiveness or forgive others or perhaps even just in the way that you forgive so guys i hope that you um, enjoy the sermon that is to follow guys that you are you are blessed 
by the word that is to come and uh, that you have uh, and continue to have the um, the joyness that again that comes through the release of forgiveness and um, of love. In Minusville, Pennsylvania, a man cleared his conscience by paying a 44-year-old parking ticket. I mean, it sounds absolutely amazing. The Minusville Police Department received a letter some time ago with a $5 note inside. The return address simply said those words, feeling guilty, Wayward Avenue, any town, California. The police chief who received this $5 fine payment, Michael Combs told the local news that the note said, Dear PD, I've been carrying this ticket around for 40 plus years, always intending to pay. Forgive me if I don't give you my info with respect, Dave. So the fine was for a 1974, some of you might remember that year, parking ticket in the Eastern Pennsylvania town where this was received. And the fine was for $2, but a person was very generous and added another $3 to that payment as interest. The same ticket today probably would cost $20. So the man probably just eased his conscience with something that had been troubling him for all these years, 44 years. Now, here is a good question for all of us. What do we do with our shameful secrets? What do we do with those guilty consciences that we all have? What do we do with maybe some of the relational wreckages of the past? What do we do with some of the decisions that we still regret now that we know we should have never made those decisions? It's difficult. It's amazing how some people, even as the years pass, even 44 years, probably can't quite go to sleep at night, sometimes thinking about something that they feel very guilty about. Those are really important questions. How do we get closure on something that we've done wrong, dealing with the past, and how do we move forward in a healthy way? Those are important life issues. And what I want to explore this morning together with you. And in doing that, we will explore an incident in which the resurrected Jesus, the one that we just celebrated his resurrection at Easter Sunday several weeks back, comes to meet Peter. And Peter is really wanting to deal with this big issue in his life. And Jesus knows it, and that's why he comes to seek him out. Let me read to you from John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than this? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was really hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? And he replied saying, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Oscar Wilde used to have a saying, a very apt one. He used to say, all sinners have a future and all saints have a past. All saints have a past, all sinners have a future. That's the truth for all of us. Whatever our walk of life, whatever our life experience, whatever our background, whatever our age, however much we think we're good people, we all have a past. We all have things in our lives that we really regret. We all have skeletons in the cupboard. Who sometimes we would be very embarrassed if they would be exposed. I guess some of you even feel awkward if somebody was to pull some of the photographs from your youth. You'd be embarrassed with some of them. And that'd be just a funny thing. Or sometimes you've done pranks, you've done silly things that if you reminisce with some of your childhood friends, you'd feel really embarrassed about some of those things. But some of the things that can be skeletons in the cupboard can be really big things, big mistakes, big issues that are very, very challenging. Peter had some skeletons in the cupboard. And it's amazing that Jesus meets with some of the disciples. This is prior to the passage we just read. This is the resurrected Jesus. So these are some of the resurrection encounters that Jesus has after he's risen from the dead. And he wants to prove to the disciples that he truly is alive. And he also wants to speak into their questions, into their disappointments, into their worries about what's going to happen now. Because Jesus came and he was crucified and now he's risen from the dead. So what next? And the context is Jesus does this miraculous fishing experience and then he cooks breakfast for them on the shore. And that whole scene is very significant because it's a trigger for Peter's skeletons in the cupboard. This is an amazing scene in which maybe this is reminding Peter of the first catch of fish, Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11, in which Jesus miraculously led them to catch a huge amount of fish proving that he was the son of God and his miracles were there to authenticate that he was the real deal. It was probably also reminding Peter of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 with the fish and the bread. Same Jesus that feeds them on the beach now had done that amazing miracle. And shortly after that amazing miracle, Jesus made that confession of faith. Peter made that confession of faith that said, Jesus, you are the son of God. And that was impressive. That was an amazing revelation. That made Peter stand out amongst all the other disciples. And as Peter is probably being triggered in his memory, is that sense of deja vu, but not a nice one, not a helpful one. Skeletons are beginning to roll out of the cupboard. And as Jesus is making this coal fire, it's possible, and that's maybe why John is recalling this, that Peter remembered the coal fire at a place where he betrayed Jesus. Jesus had warned him, and yet Peter didn't seem to take it in. And three times he ends up denying Jesus, although he was warned. I mean, that's some serious skeletons in the cupboard for somebody who was already set up to be the leader of the group of disciples, the one who gave the right answers, the one who was always fiery, passionate, ready to do anything for him. And he was warned. Well, if you don't have any warning, you might say, well, I just didn't know anything about this. I couldn't see this coming. Peter couldn't say that. And, you know, we all make mistakes. One, mm, at worst, two. But when you're making it three times, 
in a short space of time, you're kind of thinking, you've really screwed up here, royally. And Peter did that. He really messed up. He really didn't pay attention to Jesus' words, and he denied Jesus three times. And seeing that coal fire maybe just triggered some of the memories in Peter's mind of when he betrayed Jesus, the Jesus that he loved, the Jesus that he was supposed to follow, and yet he betrays him. You might say, well, why? Why on earth did this happen? Why were those skeletons in the cupboard? And I venture to guess, without being harsh, I identify a lot with Peter. In fact, that's my middle name. And I love the fact that actually there is hope for all of us because there's a Peter hiding in all of us. You might say, why did that all happen? And I think it happened simply because Peter was prideful. Up until this moment, Peter was running on natural talent. Maybe he was just a born leader. Maybe he was just somebody who was standing out because of his gifts and abilities. Now, Jesus is proving that's not enough. That's not what makes your leader in the kingdom of God. Maybe it was just the fact that Peter, in his arrogance, thought he was stronger. He didn't need Jesus' help. When Jesus warned him, he thought, surely not for me. Maybe for some of the other losers that are part of this gang of disciples. Maybe for them, that's an issue. Not for me. Jesus, not for me. I am self-sufficient. I am strong. I am the top leader. And yet he wasn't enough. He didn't have what it took. His personality and his gifting didn't carry him enough to be able to make a stand for Jesus. And Peter failed miserably three times. The bolshie bragger was now a broken man. All the arrogance, all the gifts, all the status among the disciples just vanished like that in that moment when he betrayed Jesus three times. This man has some skeletons in the cupboard. And I guess we can all identify with that. You know, he made some big claims. And sometimes the bigger the claims, the more you stand up, the more... And we know this from our politicians, and we've seen it so many times. And celebrities, they make a stand for something, and you find out that they were being hypocritical about it. The harder you rise, the harder you fall. And that was the case with Peter. Listen to some of his words. He said, I would lay down my life for him, John 13, 37. Even if everyone else would fall away, I would never, Matthew 26, 33. Even if I had to die, I would never disown Jesus, Matthew 26, 35. And then you find him, same Matthew, describing Peter as a broken man after he betrayed Jesus in Matthew 26, 75, just 30 odd verses afterwards, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Listen, Peter had some skeletons in the cupboards. And I venture to guess that that's the case for me and you too. We all have those skeletons in the cupboard. And you might say, well, what's this big deal about forgiveness and about these skeletons in the cupboard? If everyone has them, why is it such a big deal? I think it's a huge deal. First of all, internally. Because if we have a guilty conscience, and guilt is not bad in itself, guilt just points out to something that we've done wrong, 
that we need to rectify and do something about it. But internally, long term, what guilt, which is unresolved, undealt with, brings is shame. And shame is crippling to live with. And that's why it's a big deal internally for ourselves. That's why you can have people who had an experience long time ago, who haven't dealt with it, and still in their years, all those years that have gone by have not healed the situation, and they still live with that sense of shame. And it can be really crippling on the inside. But it isn't just on the inside, it's also horizontal. If you live with, with, with shame and guilt about something that you've done, you're easily blackmailable. Somebody can, and, and those of you who are in a married relationship, you know how this thing works, when somebody just pulls out something that you've done some time ago, and they'll, they'll just try to score points on you because of it. But we know that actually on a horizontal relationship, we cannot live with unforgiveness. It's not right. Again, it's almost as if it builds this imaginary wall between us in our relationships. And it's a huge problem. Not just internal, not just horizontal, but vertical too. That talks about spirituality. That talks about our relationship with God. And again, if we have guilt in our lives over unresolved issues, if we're living with our skeletons in the cupboard, there is a problem in terms of our approach and our relationship with God. What can we do about it? Well, we've got several options. Option number one, probably the easiest one, is just ignore it. Pretend it's not there. Pretend there's nothing you've done. Pretend those skeletons are in the cupboard. As long as nobody else sees them, hopefully, they're fine. Your life is fine. Option number two, you just play that game in which you make excuses and blame everybody else about them. It's always somebody else's fault and never anything wrong that you've done. And that way, you're just deflecting everything. And the skeletons are there, but hey, not my fault. It's always somebody else's issue. It's always somebody else's fault. Option number three, we just ignore them. It's what men do. If it's there, but I pretend it's not there and don't acknowledge it, it, it it's just not going to make any difference. Trouble is, you can't do that with the things of the past that are unresolved. They'll catch up with you. And sometimes they'll hunt you and chase you. And you think just merely time passing by is going to sort it out. I think we're fools and naive people if we think that that's the case. Option number four, which is obviously what I'm going to suggest to us this morning, looking at how Peter... Uh, encountered Jesus and Jesus dealt with a guilt in Peter's life and a mistake that he's made and a skeleton's in the cupboard. It's actually to have it dealt with in your life, to have somebody that comes in and deals with it. It's really interesting. Uh, comedian Kathy Landman expresses a view that I actually, I actually think there's a lot of people around us that believe that. This is what she says. All religions are the same. Religion is basically guilt with different holidays. Religion is guilt with different holidays. Dare I say that is a huge misunderstanding what Christianity is all about and what a relationship with God and uh, an, an encounter with Jesus is all about because it's the very opposite of what Kathy is saying. 
Christianity isn't about guilt, isn't about a God with a stick that's trying to make you feel bad about yourself. Christianity is about really a crucified God that comes into this world to deal with that, to bring forgiveness, to sort it out, not to make us feel more guilty. And that's why it's such fantastic good news. Let's see what Jesus does with Peter. I love the fact that Jesus is the one that comes and approaches Peter and takes the initiative. He is always the one that takes the first step. You and I know it's so difficult when you feel guilty about something, when you've wronged somebody. And again, I'm, I'm talking about maybe situations in our families, in our relationships with our spouses or with our parents, or maybe even with a, with a boss at work. We've done something, we've, we've just got it wrong. It's so hard to come and apologize and admit we've done it wrong. Maybe you and I are the same. Sometimes you get challenged about something and your initial reaction is just a defense mechanism that says, no, 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 you're not right. You don't know. You don't know. It takes a little bit of time before truth sinks in and you kind of go, hey, you know what? You're right. You're right. And then you have to go back to that person and say, you know, I'm putting my hand up. You are right. I was wrong. I got it wrong. It wasn't the right thing to do. That's so hard. And what I love about Jesus who comes to set us free is that Jesus is the one that takes the first step. He takes the initiative and he comes to seek Peter out. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't rush things. First, they have this breakfast in which Jesus treats them and blesses them and encourages them. It's almost like they have this social time. Now, you and I know, again, if you've got a confrontation with somebody and you know the elephant is in the room, and you've got to talk about it. And sometimes you make that small talk before you're getting into the real meaty stuff. That is so awkward and so hard. But Jesus is just genuine. He wants to set up an environment where this is not going to be awkward. This is not going to be hard. This is going to be an environment in which friends are going to talk together about something that needs to be talked about. And I love the fact that Jesus is preparing this wonderful environment where he cares for them. He loves them. He's amongst the disciples. They have breakfast. But then Jesus says, Peter, me and you, we need to talk about something. And I love that. It just shows Jesus' grace and willingness to come into our messes. And then I love what Jesus doesn't do. And this is probably very helpful to us as well in our conflict resolution. We can pick up some very helpful tips about conflict resolution actually from Jesus and how we need to challenge one another. I love the fact that Jesus, first of all, comes with a question. And I've learned from one of my colleagues, one of my previous colleagues, uh, Alan used to say, always go in with a question, never with a statement. A statement is a killer in a situation of conflict. You're backing somebody against a wall and there's no room for them to, 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 to explain anything. And you know, when you're backing somebody against the wall, they're going to feel their, their back against the wall and they're going to kick off and they're going to resist. Well, Jesus doesn't come with a statement. He doesn't say to Peter, Peter, you've screwed up. Peter, you just messed everything up. He doesn't. He comes with a question. And again, what I love about Jesus, he doesn't come to lecture. Oh, how we love to be lectured at. You know, you, you've done something wrong. And I remember from my, my days of playing football, and I know there are different types of players, and, and, and some react to different management techniques. 
But one of the things that used to wind me up is you've done something wrong, you've done the wrong pass, you made the wrong choice, you didn't track back with somebody that you were defending against, you just took your eye off the ball, you were in the wrong place. And when you knew you've done a mistake, you had another two or three players or one of the managers, you know, pointing it out. And you're just thinking, you know what, it's hard enough to deal with what I'm telling myself. I don't need you to come and lecture and point out again what I've done wrong. And that's what Jesus didn't do. He simply asked a question. He didn't lecture. He didn't blame Peter. He didn't make Peter grovel. He didn't put him in the corner and say, now you've got to learn your lessons. You've got to do your time, you know, and, and, and in, in six hours, come back to me and tell me how you've screwed up. He doesn't do that because he's not into humiliating us. Jesus is into setting us free in love through grace. And he does that through asking that simple question. And it's a question about love. And he simply asks, do you love me? You might say, that's particularly for a guy, that's a bit of an awkward question. But that for our relationship with Jesus and that for dealing with the stuff in our life that is a mess requires just that. A question about love. And Jesus asks it. And he asks this question about love. And in the original language, this is wonderful interplay between two words for love. They, they had more words for love. Uh, same thing, different angles, different expressions, different nuances. And Jesus, when he's asking him, he's asking the, the, the supreme love, the agape love, which is the, the kind of love that God loves us. This, no strings attached, absolutely over-the-top brilliant love. And he's asking, Jesus, he's asking Peter, Jesus is asking Peter all the time, do you agape me? Do you love me with this top-notch love? And every time, in the first two instances, Peter is replying and he's saying, I'm loving you, but I'm not loving you with agape love. I'm loving you with filial love, which is a word for a good love between mates, friends. And that was a significant test because I think Jesus was testing him, trying to see whether Peter was still cocky, thinking he could do everything. And instead he finds a Peter that's so sincere and he's not overestimating himself. He's not overreaching. He simply says, Jesus, I can't love you with agape love but i can love you with filial love and then right to the very end jesus is asking do you love me with filial love and frustrated peter is saying yes you might say why why is jesus asking that question three times and i think it's because of his kindness because he wants peter to have that sense in which we're dealing with this not just superficially but in depth you betrayed me three times and i'm going to ask that love question so there's real clarity, there's reassurance, there's a real sense of deep forgiveness and closure on this. So three times he repeats the same question. And he does that probably with the other people around because at one point Jesus is comparing, do you love me more than these? And commentators can't agree really whether Jesus was asking, pointing towards the other disciples or he was pointing towards the fishing gear that Peter owned, so it's either his friends or his property. But one thing is for sure, it was fairly public. And again, this was a good thing because Jesus did this to restore Peter's credibility 
amongst his friends and amongst the other disciples. It's interesting that we don't know who knew about Peter's betrayal, but, but you know what it's like. Stuff just gets out. And somehow, you know, they might have heard about it. And in order to avoid any sense of Peter's credibility being undermined, I love the fact that Jesus is concerned and does this so that other people can hear and see his restoration and to hear and see that they are okay. So Peter doesn't need to live with a sense of fear of what if they found out about my past and what I've done and said about Jesus. And Jesus is so brilliant at this. And then as Jesus is bringing that restoration and credibility, Jesus three times is inviting people to servanthood, to ministry, because that's what ministry with and for Jesus is. It's serving people. It's not about building our own empires and satisfying our egos, but it's about blessing and serving other people. And that's why Jesus is calling him to tend his sheep, his lambs. He's basically calling Peter to a life of servanthood of being a shepherd. He's not a fisherman anymore, even metaphorically speaking. He's a shepherd. He's a carer for people. And that's a beginning of an amazing ministry that Peter would have. This is an important time. And this is how Jesus wants to deal with the things in our life that need forgiveness. It's interesting, different people call it different things. You know, we, uh, we would probably refer to them euphemistically as mistakes. Psychologists would probably call them issues. Theologians, they call them sins. Because very often, it does affect God first because we break his commands. And very often, the collateral damages, it affects other people and it affects us as well. So it's that whole vertical, horizontal, internal. And sins do that. And the only way to deal with the sins in our lives is to have God come into the picture through Jesus. And that's what his death on the cross was all about. It was paying for our sins so that he could offer us instead the freedom. The same kind of freedom that Peter received. It's the same kind of freedom that Jesus wants to give to anybody who is being weighed down by the burden of sin and the guilt and the shame that comes with that. The skeletons in the cupboard need to be dealt with. And in Peter's life, Jesus comes right into his situation. He speaks to him, he asks him those three questions, and then he releases him into a life of servanthood. Let me tell you, it's no different for us. No different from us. Maybe different skeletons in the cupboard, but the same challenge. What do we do with the sins in our life? We can't sort them out. Other people can't sort them out. We need Jesus to step into that situation. I love the words of Henry Nowen when he was talking about the wounds in our lives. And he says these words, when our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we become wounded healers. You know, some of the most amazing spiritual people I've met in my life are people who messed up, 
but who met with Jesus and his forgiving and freeing grace. Not perfect people, not people who got everything right, but people who really encountered this Jesus like Peter did. And that's what makes all the difference. And I really wonder this morning, where are you at? I am challenged as I look at, at this passage. And I wonder, as we talked about Peter this morning, whether your memory has been triggered as well. Or maybe there's that moment of, of, of realization that the stuff that's been bothering you for many weeks, months, and maybe even years, maybe this encounter that Jesus has with Peter and this message this morning, God is trying to say to you, you know what? You've really, really have an opportunity to deal with this right now. The trouble is, if we refuse, and I'll be honest with you, if you refuse, we end up carrying a burden that shouldn't be on us. We keep living with a sense of fear. We keep living with that sense of, what will people do if they find out about me? And fear is horrible to live with and unnecessary because Jesus comes and wants to set us free. We can pretend for however long we want, but you know what? It gets tiring. Wearing masks is incredibly tiring. And we have this incredible opportunity, like Peter had, to let Jesus to come in and bring that healing and forgiveness. Let me tell you a story after which I would love, if you're ready right now, to pray with you and for you. Because this might be just the day that God prepared, just like Jesus had that encounter on the beach with Peter to sort it out, to bring freedom through forgiveness. Maybe this day is your day. So get yourself prepared as we're going to pray in just a minute. But let me finish with a story. It's one of my favorite stories that, that, that I've read. I love stories. It's a real story. And I, I love it because it's such a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in our lives. And I'll read it to you because it's much better written than me trying to tell it. Father Greg Boyle, he's a Jesuit uh, priest and he works in L.A. And this is an article that was made about him. Father Greg Boyle is in the business of helping people erase their past. He's the founder of and director of Homeboy Ministries in East Los Angeles. And Father Boyle has put together a whole team of trained physicians and people that are really uh, accustomed in laser technology of tattoo removals. The team is part of a program that takes tattoos of ex-gang members and wipes them clean. For many, it is as crucial a service as it is merciful. Gang-related tattoos prevent many former gang members from getting jobs and advancing in work. For others, the markings critically impinge on mental health and puts them in serious danger on the streets. There is no fee or community charge required to receive the tattoo removal offered by Homeboy Industries. It is strictly a gift, a gift that is perhaps a modern look at Jesus washing people's feet. Currently, there's a waiting list of over a thousand names. For those involved, the spiritual imagery is very compelling. 
The seeming permanence of a gang tattoo forces the attitude that the gang's claim is also permanent on the person that received the tattoo. It's a mark of ownership as well as identity. The emotional consequence is that it seems that there is a part of you that you can never shake off. And I suspect the article writer says, a lot of us have felt like this with past mistakes, actions, and the marks that we just cannot remove, and they've got a hold on us, and they feel like a permanent tattoo that everybody can see. It's not hard to see how profound the erasing of such marks could be in the life of a former gang member. The life marked by Christ is similarly altered. Like former gang members who have had the marks of a former life removed, our sins can be blotted out by Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. And that's why this is so compelling. My invitation today is for you just to simply come and join me in this prayer and put an end to the stuff of the past and step with Jesus into a new future. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that in Peter I see myself. Context and circumstances are different, but the same is true. I need your forgiveness for my sins. And this is why I thank you that you want to come just like you came to Peter and you want to bring that freedom from those sins. I am saying sorry for them. I recognize I've messed up. I recognize I can't fix it. I recognize I need your help. I need your mercy and grace. And I just cry out for those. And I pray that you will just pour out your forgiveness over me. And by your spirit, come and live in me and enable me to live a new life so that I could truly be a new creation with the old things gone and with a new future ahead of me. Amen.
Good morning. My name's Ian and it's uh, wonderful to be able to join together this morning and pray. And uh, we're going to pray together now. Before we do, I'm going to read just a, a couple of verses from Psalm 121. The psalmist says this, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And uh, we're going to seek the maker of heaven and earth as we come together to pray now. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful this morning for the many things that you have blessed us with. Lord, we're thankful for the sunshine this week. Lord, we're thankful that we have food to eat. We're thankful that we have uh, homes to live in. We're thankful for family and for friends, for the countryside around us. But most of all, Lord, we're thankful for the Lord Jesus. We're thankful for his wonderful life, his death in our place, and his incredible resurrection as he beats the power of sin and hell and death. We're thankful that he comes to live within us by his spirit, that we might know the risen Lord Jesus and his life within. Lord, thank you for all that you have, uh, have done for us and are doing in us and will do for us in the future. But Lord, there are times when we're in at the moment are so challenging and difficult. And we ask, Father, for your help and your blessing, your mercy and grace. Father, we think particularly of those who are um, really hurting and grieving at this time. Father, we pray for those who are, who are in pain. Lord, I pray that, that you will be meeting and encountering them in, in beautiful and powerful ways, in deep ways. Lord, I pray that you'll be known as comforter to those who are grieving. Father, we ask for your care and protection over those who are working, particularly frontline workers at this time, who are serving our nation so uh, admirably. Father, we pray for, for, for their for strength of, of character and mind and courage of heart. We pray for your protection upon them physically. And Lord, may they know how much they're appreciated and Father, we pray for those who are, who are putting their lives at risk for the sake of others. We pray your blessing upon them. Father, we pray for those who are just really busy at this time and, uh, and, and feeling the strains and stresses. Lord, we pray that they would know you as their, their help and, and comforter and strength. Father, we pray for those who, um, who are isolated. Lord, I pray that you would open up means of communication with others. Father, I pray for um, the ability to think correctly under pressure and, 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 and a guard and a protection on, on folks' minds. And Father, I pray that uh, we would do a great job of supporting and blessing each other. And Father, I pray that, that for those who are particularly feeling the strain of isolation... Lord, that they would meet and encounter you in, in such lovely and powerful ways. That they would enjoy such sweet and deep fellowship with you. 
Father, I pray for those in this season who have young children. And Father, I pray your blessing upon them as they seek to help their children navigate these times. May they be wise and discerning in what they share and how they share it. And Father, I pray for our children that they would, um, yeah, that they would, would understand what's happening at appropriate levels. And Father, may it help them live lives for your honour and glory. Father, I pray for those who have a lot of time on their hands. Father, for those perhaps who've been made redundant or on furlough. Father, I pray your blessing upon those folks too. With their challenges and, uh, and, and struggles, Father, I pray your blessing upon them. Lord, we're, we're all so different in our needs and yet we're all so similar that we all have such great need. And so we ask that you would meet us in this time. Father, I pray that you'd help us, that you'd shape our minds, that you would help us to stand on truth, that you would, uh, you would convict our hearts, and that the, in this time, Lord, we would, we would know you so close, and that our characters would be being transformed more and more into the people you'd have us be. Father, I pray that we would be being changed for the better. And Father, I pray also for those who don't yet know you. Lord, I pray that they would, they would seek you and find you in this time. Father, may we see our, our congregations being filled with folks who are seeking and asking questions and discovering the glory and wonder of the Lord Jesus. Father, we know many who are calling for a need and interest in our prayers today and we just take a moment to lift them before you. So Lord, in this time, we thank you that we can pray together, though separated geographically, yet not separated at all from the Lord. And we thank you that you are our hope you're our peace, you're our strength, that you're our, our, our life, and that all things are in your hands. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in this morning. I really hope that you've enjoyed your time with us. Um, thank you also to everybody who's taken part. It's been great to have different people once again involved. Um, I'm just going to give the notices for the, the coming week. Um, I'm going to try and do it in a happy way because apparently some people have been thinking that I look very sad, that I'm a bit too serious. Um, I know, can't believe it, eh? I'm not going to mention any names, but one of them is my wife and one of them is the lead pastor. Very disappointing. However, let's crack on with the notices. Tonight we've got another message at 6.30 on the YouTube channel where Christy has titled it Vertical Priority. Then after that on Zoom we're going to have a get together where we can have a chat, a catch up and a time of prayer together. On Monday night there's a Zoom get together for the youth. It's Empower. Contact Dougie if you need any more details. Tuesday night half past seven it's another midweek Zoom. Uh, the idea of it is just to check in on people uh, during the week. 
On Thursday morning, 6am, it's the uh, Men's Awake prayer meeting. Some life groups are getting together via Zoom, so contact your life group leaders for, for details of that. Next Saturday morning, it's the Power Hour prayer meeting at half past eight. The final notice is for all the men in the church. I'm sure you've all been missing, like me, the get-togethers on a Saturday morning once a month for men's breakfast. Um, we've got a short video coming up to remind you of what men's breakfast is, if you can remember it, and also what we're going to do next Saturday. So it's next Saturday morning, 10 a.m. The idea is to cook your own delicious breakfast. We're gonna to eat together. There might be a small competition just to see whose is the best breakfast. And then Dougie Roy is gonna bring a really short 10 minute message to us. So watch this space for the details. We'll put the Zoom meeting numbers uh, through the WhatsApp groups, through the Facebook page and that kind of thing. So keep a lookout for that. So thank you once again for being with us this morning. If you would value any prayer or just a chat, please do get in touch with us. Or maybe you're watching this and you're not a Christian and something that Christy said in the message has really spoken to you. Please, please get in touch and ask for more help, more information. We would love to have a chat with you. Okay, have a great day. See you tonight or during the week. God bless.